Hello there, everyone. Welcome to the Book and Film Globe podcast. I am your host, Neil Pollock, the greatest living American writer and the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com, your one-stop shop for all things books and film and streaming TV and censorship and so much more. Well, we don't actually practice censorship. We cover censorship-related issues, just, just to make that clear. We have an excellent show this week. We're going to talk to Kristen Clifford about Bottoms, a new high school lesbian sex comedy starring Rachel Sinat and Io Edebiri, very funny. And Kristen will be here to talk with me about that. And we're also going to talk with my old Chicago reader colleague, Jack Helbig, about Gran Turismo, a movie about a car racing video game that neither of us have ever played. But I am going to reveal my secret history of car racing, or at least driving around racing tracks a little bit later. But first, we're going to talk to frequent contributor Scott Gold about Ashoka, the new Star Wars universe series now airing on Disney+. Plus. Scott has put on his Star Wars ECAT again for us and is going to give us a lot of detail about the Ashoka universe and what it means for Star Wars going forward. We'll be right back to talk about that after this intergalactic musical interlude. We have once again returned to a galaxy far, far away. There is a new Star Wars series on Disney Plus. It's called Ahsoka. And our resident Star Wars expert, Padawan Scott Gold. Or are you a Jedi now, I would say, right? At this point? Uh, Sure, why not? I mean, I'm a Jedi, so you're a Jedi. Anyway, Scott Gold is here to talk about Ahsoka with me. Uh, Scott is, uh, knows, I, you know, I'd say I know more about Star Wars than, let's say, your average person at the grocery store. But uh, to Scott, I am the average person in the grocery store because you are a Star Wars completist, an expert. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't read like all of the extended extended universe novels and comic books, but, uh, but I'm a, you know, a self-professed Star Wars geek. Sure, why not? Well, the reason I say that is because Ahsoka is not if you're if you're introducing someone to Star Wars for the first let's say someone's been in a coma for the last 50 years, in which case not having seen Star Wars would have been the least of their problems. But um Ahsoka's not where you're gonna start, right? This is like deep cut backstory fan service TV, I would say, right? It is, but I think, you know, the best way to describe it is what took Star Wars journalists and comic book writers forever to kind of tease out of uh, the the show's creator, Dave Filoni, is the fact that basically what you really need to know about Ahsoka is it is, in essence, at its core, Star Wars Rebels Season 5. So if you look at it as the fifth season of a show that's been on for four other seasons then you can kind of get the gist of what's going on. So if you haven't seen any of Star Wars Rebels, I think the bar to entry is fairly high. But if you're a casual viewer, if you just want to see some cool spaceships and lightsabers and kind of turn your brain off and not have to think about it, you can do that. But if you're a Star Wars fan who hasn't quite delved as deep into the the extended Star Wars canon as some of us have, uh, you might have some trouble kind of understanding who these people are and what do they want and what's going on and, and all of that. Well, here's the thing. Star Wars Rebels is an animated show. So, I mean, 
let's face it, Star Wars is essentially a, a cartoon writ large, even when it's live action, but at least it's live action. And, you know, to me, like the animated shows have always felt kind of like Star Wars for kids, even though they're really not, if that makes sense. Like for me, I, I just I just couldn't do it. Like I watched some of the Clone Wars animated series uh, with my son when he was a little kid. But, you know, I, I kind of faded off of that uh, in, in, in favor of I, more adult pursuits, whatever that means. But I, I just I just could not commit to Star Wars, cartoon, endless Star Wars cartoons. <laughs> and it does seem like they're endless. There is a lot of content between the Clone Wars and Rebels. I calculated around 104 straight hours of television. And that's a lot of content. Uh, and yeah, your assessment is both accurate and fair. Uh, you know, Rebels itself started as a Disney cartoon, like literally before, I think it was before Disney owned Star Wars property. It was on a Disney, you know, it was a Disney children's program. And you watch the first couple of seasons and it is very, very kid driven, kid friendly. And, you know, for your older Star Wars OG original trilogy fans like myself and other uh, Gen Xers and older uh, you know, it doesn't have that darkness, the grittiness that we kind of liked a little bit about, about the older stuff. However, if you stick with it during the latter seasons, it gets deeper and more interesting and definitely darker. We get some really great characters. We get some great action sequences. Uh, you know, Rebels had one of the best lightsaber. I will, I will stand by this. The Rebels had one of the best lightsaber fights in all of Star Wars between uh, Darth Maul and Ahsoka Tano. It was just brilliant, and it was animated. So there's a lot of really cool stuff there, but if you didn't get into that, if you didn't delve into it, walking into Ahsoka is definitely like walking into the fifth season of a show you've never watched before, even if you're aware that it's in the same universe that you're familiar with and comfortable with. All right, so let's talk about Ahsoka a little bit. The character Ahsoka Tano, um, isn't it, you know, it's a significant character in the Star Wars universe because, you know, she entered the Star Wars universe through the Clone Wars. She was the Padawan or trainee of Anakin Skywalker, who obviously later became Darth Vader. And she wasn't part of, you know, the the original storyline of Star Wars. You know, let's say the first six movies, right? There was no, there was no Ahsoka in those. But then suddenly she becomes this like central figure in the entire saga. Yeah, she's a fascinating character, um, you know, and she has a huge role to play if we didn't even know it all of these years in the life of Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader, because what essentially happened is, you know, Anakin was training her and through circumstances, she winds up leaving the Jedi order. She was uh, blamed for a crime that she didn't commit. That was done by another Padawan and it really disillusioned her with the Jedi order. And she left and her leaving the Jedi and Anakin, some people surmise was one of the steps that led to Anakin's fall to the dark side. If Ahsoka had remained his apprentice, maybe he wouldn't have turned into Darth Vader. But And that's something that weighs on her character and something that's interesting. But she does have a huge role to play in the lives of characters that are like as Star Wars as Star Wars can get. So Ahsoka takes place roughly around the same time as The Mandalorian. We've already met her in a few episodes of The Mandalorian. And another one of the characters in the show, one of the antagonists, Morgan Elspeth, which is, by the way, like the least Star Warsy sounding name ever. It might, it might, she might as well be, be named like Rebecca Smith or something. Well, there's a, there, there's a guy in the show named Ezra. Yeah, Ezra Bridger. Why not? I'm like, is he an indie rock musician? You know, I mean. I know. Yeah, so we have Ahsoka and uh, 
This is at the time where the New Republic is building back after defeating the Empire. And of course, the Empire is still kind of shadowy and out there and tr trying to consolidate some of their power in the shadows and the fringes of the kind of mess that the New Republic is making of trying to rebuild. So there are some, you know, we already have hints in the first couple of episodes of some Imperial allegiances there. But most importantly, we have... Ahsoka trying to find Grand Admiral Thrawn, who, if you don't know him through the comics and you don't know him through, there was a, a series of, Timothy Zahn wrote a series of hugely popular Star Wars novels all about Grand Admiral Thrawn, and he's a complex, fascinating character, not really a bad guy, bad guy, but one of the more compelling characters on the dark side of the the kind of Star Wars spectrum. And the last time we saw him, we had uh, Padawan Jedi Ezra Bridger. Uh, and it sounds so, because Rebels went into some trippy territory. He's in, he's the lead singer of The National, uh, Ezra, <laughs> Ezra Bridger. All right, so look, they're, they're, before we do too deep a, a, a geeky dive into the story of this thing, basically it's like a quest narrative, uh, at least as it's set out, to try to find these people. And there may be a conspiracy at foot. And, uh, you know, really what it comes down to is, like, this is a very female-driven show, right? Rosario Dawson plays Ahsoka. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, a well-regarded actress in mostly a bunch of indie projects, plays uh, one of her uh, companions, I guess a former rebel. She's got green skin and the, those Twi'lek tendrils. And then there's... Um, What's the name of the woman who is the 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 Mandalorian who is like an Ahsoka's kind of fallen apprentice? Yes, yeah, Sabine Wren, who's a great character. She is a former Mandalorian bounty hunter. At one point, she did wield the dark saber, the famous dark saber that would was prophesied to to unite all Mandalorians, and she wound up kind of gifting it to Bo Katan Kryze. Uh, and we followed a lot of that storyline during The Mandalorian, but that's how Bo-Katan got it. But Sabine once had it, and so, you know, she's been a, a pretty important figure, but she's kind of fallen out of touch with uh, with Ahsoka. They had a falling out. Apparently, one of the big bombshells we learned in the first couple episodes is that Ahsoka tried to train her in the ways of the Force, and uh, that didn't really work out so well. So there's a little character tension there, but they decide to team up and go on this quest adventure together, and uh, they're pursued by uh, by our baddies, which... Uh, we have the wonderful Ray Stevenson, who is just so cool and perfect in his role as this kind of, I want to say dark Jedi, but there are no real dark Jedi, kind of a dark force user. But um, he's just, he inhabits this role with such a great kind of cool, but he's not like cartoonishly evil. Like he's just really wonderful in the role. The late Ray Stevenson, mind you. So, late, yeah, so, yes. All right, so you've got, you know, the lines are clear. There's clear good guys. There's clear bad guys. There's some moral ambiguity. There's a cool robot voiced by David Tennant. Um, you know, the one thing I will say about Ahsoka, it, again, the problem is that you really need, in order to really fully appreciate the show, and you even said this in your review on Book and Film Globe, you need to have a little bit more lore in your brain than the average viewer is going to have. Like for me, like I, I did enjoy the episodes I watched, but I didn't exactly understand what was going on, you know? Yeah, this is definitely a show 
for for you know deep cut Star Wars fans, fans of Star Wars Rebels, and I definitely think that you know casual Star Wars fans or fans of other shows like The Mandalorian, um, you know, might think that they're stepping into oh a cool new Star Wars show, and you might find yourself like way in the geek deep end like really quickly and you know being a little confused and like I can totally get that, and it's definitely one of i don't want to say a downfall of this show but uh, i think it's something that people should know going in before they're you know completely disappointed i mean no offense to you or to dave filoni or john favreau or george lucas or whoever cares these days but i am not going back and watching 104 hours of star wars cartoons i mean i have the time to do it to be fair i have the time but uh, I'm I'm not I'm just not going to do it. I can't. I can't. I don't blame you. But you know what? The good I'm thing is, man. I'm a grown ass man, Scott. I'm a grown ass man child. That's probably why I know all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's okay. And look, we all have to get through this life somehow. And whatever mythology we want to expose ourselves to uh, is okay with me. And you know, you could do a lot worse than Ahsoka. There's some cool lightsaber fights. Some cool spaceship stuff. There's some. Uh, I mean, let's face it. Some attractive women in fun makeup and uh good robots you know so it's it, it's star wars it looks and feels like star wars it's not it's not a disaster um along the lines of something like let's say the obi-wan kenobi show or that um last season of the mandalorian wasn't so good either so i think i feel like it's somewhere it doesn't reach the peaks of andor which is obviously the gold standard for star wars shows or that first season of the mandalorian yeah I, but i think it lives you know right comfortably in uh in the canon and i think it's 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 really it's fan service and it's dave filoni giving back to fans and it's uh you know for people who are really into it you're really gonna love it and if people aren't really into it probably not but the good thing is now that we have disney owning star wars and cranking out that content that we all need uh you know there's going to be other shows other movies coming up you know there's one thing that we really have to look forward to is there's going to be a Star Wars movie that's going to collect all this stuff from the TV shows we've been watching all into one big uh, feature film. And that's going to be uh, that's going to be pretty baller when it comes out. So in the meantime, you know, we have stuff that's going to be great for casual fans, something that's great for, you know, deep geek fans. But uh, I think they're doing a great job as uh, Rebels season five. I think it's outstanding. And I think the translation from animation to live action is highly successful the action is great the acting is wonderful the casting is great you know for me i think it's a great show but it's not for everybody i will say that all right scott well it's time for you to continue your podcast training you must uh use use your uh, abilities wisely may the force be with you neil and also with you could the ugly untalented gays please report to the principal's office guess that's you guys Tonight is our night. We're getting the cooch. I'm gonna talk to Brittany. You could say hi to Isabel. What would I say? Hey, girl, how's your boyfriend? We were just practicing for our self-defense club. So it's like a fight club? Yes. You can be our club advisor. You know, my mom did say I need to pick up a hobby. Yes, wait, I want that trophy. space like this it means a lot to people i'm gonna finally reverse stalk my stalker yeah i'll be able to kill my stepdad awesome i want that trophy i know y'all ain't tickling the pearl i just don't know if you're supposed to be talking to us like that just like as a teacher there was an article in the wall street journal in the last week saying that the r-rated sex comedy had returned uh, and 
Example A of the returning R-rated sex comedy was Bottoms, which is out uh, wide, nationwide this week. It's a uh, lesbian teen high school revenge fight club comedy starring the comedy duo of Rachel Sennett and Ayo Edebiri, uh, directed by their New York University classmate, Emma Seligman. And it is it is a um, very unique piece of work that is also quite referential to a bunch of other things. Uh, Kristen Clifford wrote a review of Bottoms for us, and I saw Bottoms as well. And Kristen is here today to talk to me about Bottoms. Hello, Kristen. Hello. Hello, yes. So uh, you, you laid claim to bottoms uh pretty pretty quickly um I, I think some of our other critics that saw but seen it but i felt like you were a good person to review it what, what was uh what was it that appealed to you about bottoms uh i just really have been kind of watching uh rachel sennett and io at berry like move up kind of in hollywood and and I was very intrigued to see what they produced together. I've never seen their, I know they had a Comedy Central show. They ran like three episodes, like three episodes in 2020, the worst possible time to have a Comedy Central show. Yeah, I was kind of like, I've never heard of this. And then when I saw it was 2020, I was like, that makes sense. Because um, yeah. <laughs> there was so much other stuff going on. But um, yeah, so I was curious to see it. And just from the previews, it looked two things about it. It looked like, you know, your standard teen comedy. So I'm like, it'll probably be at least somewhat funny and enjoyable to see. And then I was like, it also seems very different because I've never seen a teen comedy from the closest, I guess would be book smart where one of the characters was, was queer, but that was a little bit of a different focus than this one, which was purely like, we're in this to bag hot chicks, which was an interesting take to me. Right. They start this, basically they end up starting a, a fight club uh, to quote unquote empower women. But what they really are looking to do is sleep with their, their high school crushes. I, I, I will say like, I saw boxing book smart as well. I, I feel like this movie is way better and funnier than book smart, which, which had, you know, an appealing cast, but um, you know, Caitlin Dever and um, Beanie Feldstein are actors. Whereas Rachel Senna and Iowa Debiri are a comedy team. They're like a comedy duo. And uh, their chemistry is undeniable, and they're both extremely funny. And, and I, I've obviously everyone's seen Iowa Debiri in uh, in The Bear and in other things, but especially The Bear. And uh, Rachel Sennett was the, easily the highlight of Bodies, 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 which I know you saw last year as well. That was sort of the um, another teen-ish comedy with with some horror elements in it. And you know, I thought she was just fantastic in that. Yeah, she was. So they're great in this. Um, I felt like the movies, like I, my my compare that I would draw for bottoms would be, you know, a super bad mm-hmm. certainly uh, comes to mind. Mean Girls and Heather's. Those are the, those are the movies that, that it shares the DNA of all those movies in a lot of ways. Yeah, there seems to be this kind of trend, and maybe it's just me noticing it, but uh, where the friend groups in these movies are getting smaller, like now they're focused more on two best friends versus like Mean Girls, which had much broader friend groups or multiple people, like four girls you know six people I don't know I just feel like they're getting a little smaller which is fine like it then you get to see more of those those characters and there's fewer shallow characters but I thought it was interesting yeah well here's the thing like I mean look bottom I don't think bottoms is as good as mean girls like I feel like that mean girls strip is very tight and there's a lot of good characters and it's not it's not as good as the three movies that I referenced but it does something you know it is purely uh, a lesbian sex comedy, which, you know, distinguishes it from the pack. And, um, you know, there's also like a lot of explicit violence in it, which, you know, your mileage may vary, but there's definitely some fighting. 
you know, and that was kind of fun to watch. It was really fun to watch that and to like see the different characters' reactions to like, you know, getting fully punched and actually experiencing that kind of violence that they were technically there for, but I don't think we're still expecting. And yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely, that was definitely a fun part of it. You know, the thing that the thing that like I really noticed about Bottoms was there are not a lot of adult characters. Well, a lot of the people playing the teenagers are clearly not teenagers, but beyond that, like there's no parents other than the one mom who's shagging the um the quarterback. Yes. You don't see any you don't see Ioana Berry's or Rachel Sennett's families at all. There's none of there's absolutely none of that. They 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 exist in this world without parents. It's almost like they live in their own places. Which, which is um, uh, and different for these kinds of movies, but I felt like it kind of it thinned it out a little bit. But the main adult character in the movie is played by none other than uh, Beast Mode himself, uh, the NFL's former Marshawn Lynch. And uh, you mentioned that in your review that he was currently your favorite uh, former NFL player, uh, you know, in movies. And I would say he may be, like, he's so funny in this. I mean... So funny. He's really funny in this, and he's guest starred on like Brooklyn Nine Nine before, and he was super funny in that. There was that Will Arnett improvised detective show. He had a he had a guest shot on that in a half hour. Yes, and he was so funny. And I'm like, is it possible that Marshawn Lynch is the best um, ex football player turned actor of all time? I mean, you've got Jim Brown. <laughs> You know, and I guess you still have to mention O.J. Simpson, but I guess. But I, I just thought he was he was great in this. Like every time he was on the screen, I was riveted. I was like, what the hell is he going to say next? It was hilarious. I know. Yeah, he was really, really good. And like, I think a lot of times when they do have NFL players in movies, it's more of a cameo. But this yes. was just a regular, you know, he was an important role. He was one of the he was basically the only teacher they interact with. <laughs> so uh, he was kind of the. Uh, the Jessica Williams role in this. Yeah, you're right. He wasn't like Tom Brady playing himself, you know, which is the way football players usually show up in the movies. He was like, he, he was an, an odd um, social studies teacher who was going through some kind of weird divorce. And it's just his delivery was just was spot on. I don't know if this is if it's how he's directed or if he just is like, if he just is naturally uh, funny. I definitely think it's a bit of both maybe. And again, like, you know, so Bottoms has him and it, it has Rachel Sennett and I at a very sort of, in, I would say in their, um, their star making roles, right? This is a major motion picture, semi-major at least, uh, you know, where they're, they are front and center all the time. Yeah, agreed. And like, they, uh, I fully agree too that their chemistry is really great. And I think they make, they bring out like the best in each other as performers because Rachel Sennett is like very loud and uh, sort of, obnoxious almost in a funny way and Ioetta Berry is very like quiet reserved and like has these great hilarious sort of nervous asides to herself and I think they each sort of play off one another to make that even more obvious and and funnier so I really like seeing them together I, I, I agree and it's it's interesting to see a comedy do sort of make their big screen debut in this way and, and then they're not being introduced by Judd Apatow you know they're in you know what I mean? It's not like Judd Apatow brings us the Amy Schumer movie or the, um, what was that? The Bros movie uh, starring um, Billy, Eichner. Billy, Eichner, Billy Eichner. You know, it's like, is Judd Apatow presents. This is like, they're presenting themselves here. Yeah. You know, and they get to, they get to shape their image in the way they want. And it's really kind of, it's kind of cool to see. And again, like Bottoms is a, it's definitely a, it's a very funny movie. It, it may, maybe, 
maybe the best comedy movie comedy of the year yeah another thing i found really refreshing about it was that there was no drinking or drugs in this really that i can recall at all well there was that one party scene but even that party the big yeah the, the party scene takes place at like a carnival and you're you're right like there there isn't there isn't there's a lot of violence <laughs> yeah but like it, it's just like nobody because i just feel like that's such a standard for teen movies is to have the like a big drinking party or somebody be on cocaine or or something or really really stoned and so and, you know yeah. not now that that's not realistic or you know sometimes but i think it was nice to see like they just didn't need it because there was enough going on in the movie that they didn't need that to add humor there was already enough there yeah they didn't they didn't need the drugs they had there was plenty of sex and violence but even the sex like there's a lot of talk about sex but the sex scenes themselves, there's some kissing. Yeah. And they sort of cut to like, oh, you know what's about to happen, but you're not going to see it. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, there's literally like a little bit of kissing. And, and, and actually, it's kind of sweet and, and innocent. Um, unlike, let's say, the sex in Oppenheimer, which was, <laughs> uh, which was very, very adult. So, um, yeah. So that's that's Bottoms for you. Uh, it gets a... Got a four stars from you, uh, Kristen. I, you know, I we don't do half stars. I would give it at least three and a half. And uh, you know, I'm really, I, I will, you know, gladly see anything else that these uh, two, this comedy team puts together. Yeah, and the director as well. That's part of the team. That's kind of like the, um, it's like the Ghostbusters, the Harold Ramis, Bill Murray package. You know what I mean? It's like they 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 work so well together. And Emma Seligman is clearly. Um, this is not going to be the last movie she gets to do. No. Yeah. It, it was, it was fantastic. I don't know if that was her major motion picture debut as a director or not, but it was, it was really well done. They're young. These are young people. They're not teenagers, but they're young. You know, they're, yeah, they're in their mid twenties. I think uh, I was in my mid twenties when they were born. So was I pretty much or not. You're not that much older than me. So not, not, not that much, but whatever. I can still appreciate what the kids are doing and they're doing bottoms. Kristen Clifford wrote about bottoms for us on Book and Film Globe. Kristen, we'll talk to you next time. All right, thank you. Listen, son. You think you're going to play a stupid video game about cars or you're going to become a race car driver? All I ever wanted to do is be a racer. I'm doing it. The ten of you are the best Gran Turismo players in the world. Now is your chance to race real cars. This is insane. It's not going to work. The guys who race are elite athletes. Your kids are scrawny little gamer kids. That's where you come in. Hmm. If I lose, I lose more than just a race. So I'm not going to quit. You've got to prove to everyone that you belong. You've raced it, what, like a thousand times? Now you just gotta do it in real life. Gran Turismo, based on a true story. Our movie of the week is Gran Turismo, a, a sort of a biopic about uh, auto racing, but really it's, it's kind of a commercial for uh, PlayStation and Sony and, and for Nissan, disguised as a biopic i mean the the playstation logo is the first thing you see before the movie actually starts and so this is yet another entry into our uh the creeping ip of toy culture 
uh, into society. Uh, but the movie's pretty good, I have to say. And I've got uh, Jack Helbig, uh, a relatively new contributor to Book and Film Globe, although not someone who's relatively new uh, to my life. Jack and I both wrote for the Chicago Reader back in the 90s, the 1890s. <laughs> the 1890s. 1890s, maybe the 1790s. It feels like it at this point. You're you're still you're still writing for the reader, Jack, or is that over for you? As yes. Well? Wow. No, I'm still writing for the reader. I I do more features than reviews, but I still review theater and do reviews, some book reviews too. Uh, you know, as you said before we started talking, you know, this is a, a kind of a strange thing for you to be debuting on the cast about because you've never played uh, the Gran Turismo game uh, on which this story is based. In fact, e- either have I. Um, although. I have a lot of experience driving around racetracks. Which I didn't know. And I think that's really interesting. So do you mean actual race driving? Like, I'm not a race car driver. I haven't, done, I haven't raced. Uh, I would lose. I would die in five seconds. But I have driven. I spent a number of years reviewing cars or writing about car culture. I Just something that I stumbled into. And on a lot of these car junkets, the manufacturers will take you to these uh, Formula One racetracks and uh, put you on, put you either in a car with a professional race car driver. That's happened a number of times, leading to many uh, uh, incidences of uh, public vomiting on my part. And also, like they'll have you drive the cars. They'll give, they'll give you some instruction, and then they'll actually have you drive the cars around the track. You know, and there are some guys who write about cars who actually know something about cars and can actually gauge if the car is is any good around the track. I just I just try to try not to die. And this movie had special relevance to me because I've actually driven around the 24 hour of Le Mans track. Oh, uh, yeah. The day before the race, they, they put us in some Audi A4s, you know, it's not even a race car, just like, you know, a, a nice car and had us drive, drive the course. So I was, I was very familiar with the Mulzahn straight and all the, all the, um, all the sort of track nuances that they were talking about. And I never had driven around the Nürburgring, uh, the deadly track, in Germany, where our protagonist has his near fatal accident, but uh, you know, right. it comes up all the time. And the guys I I did these uh, car reviews with, a lot of them had, had driven the Nurburgring many times. So this, as soon, in fact, as soon as they did the overhead, I was like, "Oh, that's the Nurburgring." You know, I was like, "Oh, I know that track." I find that very interesting because one of the things I also enjoyed the film. One of the things I liked about it was not knowing about these race these racetracks and learning about it in the process of the film. It's not an insider baseball show. Yeah, it's definitely like a, it's definitely a popular take on, uh, you know, almost a populist take on, on the car racing movie. Like there, I don't know if you've seen any recent car racing movies, but you know, Ron Howard did a movie called rush about the history of formula one. And then there was of course Ford, Ford versus Ferrari, which got an Oscar nomination. You know, I don't think Gran Turismo is as good as those movies you know, but it, it, it's a, a solid, you know, a solid piece of corporate entertainment, I thought. It's like, and I'm a, a ashamed to say that the last racing movie I saw, I saw in college, um, Howard Hawks has a film, uh, Redline 7000. It's an early film for James Caan. I came back, I was just looking it up, came out of the mid-60s. It's evolved a bit since then. It's a little more... But the formula remains the same. The, the, the formula, you know... There's a, a girl involved in it somehow in the story. And it, it, as in this one, there's a past trauma that has to be overcome and setbacks in the second act. Yeah, it's a formula. And also, like, it's just the way r- racing is very melodramatic. There's always there's always accidents. There's always guys who, who had what it took but didn't quite get there. 
you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times that's just because they didn't have the money to have the right car um, or they lost their nerve or they, you know, suffered some sort of injury. So this movie um, is the premise is that there's a, a young man who looks from a middle to working class family uh, in Cardiff, Wales, who is the world's greatest Gran Turismo racing simulator player. And Nissan uh, decides to hold this contest uh, to um, as a promotional stunt, really, to, to uh, hire some drivers to drive in its race in its racing team uh, from Gran Turismo and um, Orlando Bloom plays uh, the the PR guy and he's fine and then but the movie's main star you know is is the kid himself and he's good but really like it's David Harbour as his um, grizzled trainer who really carries the show I think yeah exactly he is he is really the heart of the show and and his his past trauma is the the real high stakes part of the story. Right. I mean, we, I pretty much guessed the kid would be able to turn into a race car driver. Yeah, I mean, they made all this talk about how unfit he was. And I'm like, he, look, he looks like a, he's like six foot three. He's like uh-huh. super skinny, got nice, nice muscles. You know, he's very handsome. I'm like, he didn't seem to have any problem, um, even though he sat on his butt playing Gran Turismo all day. He didn't seem to have any problem, like, adapting to becoming a professional athlete. But he, he, I, I liked his relationship with his father, his father played by Jaiman Hunsu who is um, a, a former um, either professional or semi-professional Welsh footballer who didn't quite get to the top and then, like, is working in some sort of – doing some kind of work in a train yard. I don't know. It's not really clear. And doesn't quite understand what his son is up to. Even though I'm like, well, he did play professional soccer. It's not like he was a total failure. But, but that plot point – is also a very old formula plot point. That's like right from the jazz singer, nineteen twenty nine. Yeah. I mean, it's you know the the son who's trying to win the the win his father's approval, and the father does not approve of what he's doing. Yeah, this is a very you know it's funny. Like we're talking this week about uh, that movie Bottoms. Oh yeah, um, as well, and that's such a female centered movie. And this is a this is a man's movie. You know, it's like yes, the only win. Well, there's a couple of female race car drivers. They don't get a lot of. I'd like to, I wanted to see more of them actually. They were, I thought they were kind of interesting and we didn't get anything about their motivations or their background. And even the romantic part of the story of the main character is downplayed. He does not win to win the love of this girl. He wins to win the game. And the love of his father. And the love of his father, right. Yes, it's true. And of David Harbour, his his surrogate father. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the the girl is just like, well, yeah, naturally, I'm going to get the girl. <laughs> yeah, that is, which is a which is a, a touch of sexism. Although they pretty they do a pretty good job of downplaying that aspect of it. She's not a gift. Yeah, exactly. But but you know, so the only other than the female racers who who barely uh, play, the only women with speaking parts are the girlfriend and the main character's mother. Jan Marlboro is, I believe, is the name of the of the racer. You know, the mother is just. Basically, like her only dramatic job is to scream and cry, "My baby, my baby!" When he gets in an accident, and she cooks dinner, she's very nuanced. So, Neil, I want to add something here that you talk about this being a movie for boys and males. I have proof of that in the real world because my daughter's boyfriend, who's about twenty-five, uh, has played Gran Turismo. When I told him I was seeing this movie, he got excited and he wants to see it. He does not go to movies. He spends most of his time on Gran Turismo and running errands with my daughter. Yeah, I mean, it, it really, um, you know, the movie is, it's a product placement for the game Gran Turismo. 
um, and also for Nissan. Mm-hmm. And it does have this element of it where it's it actually shows viewers how to how to imagine being in the car when you're playing the game. Well, that was really cool, actually, how like there was a moment where he's in this sort of one of his final races and the car dematerializes around him and you see him in his room playing the game, doing the track, and then it rematerializes and he just kind of like plays it like he would the game. I thought that was fabulous. I really enjoyed that, too. And I don't play games I don't, or I haven't played games in a long time. Yeah, but it really you got the feeling of what it's what it must have been like for you know it's kind of like jumanji right the game comes to life around you mm-hmm. it's kind of how i felt like when i was on jeopardy it's like oh wait all of a sudden here we are we're in the middle of it we've been practicing for so long you know and i, I and that's what it must have been like for these uh these young men who uh got the chance to race in the, for nissan in the 24 hour uh, of le mans race that, but I, I, one of the things i think was really great about the film also they, they really do a great job of, of getting us into their heads considering they're gamer boys and girls. It's like, we feel their feel or their feelings. We, you know, I, I thought for a exploitive formulaic film, they did a good job of character development. Yeah. The director uh, is Neil, Blom- the director is Neil Blomkamp, uh, who a South African director, who's uh, the most famous film is, is a sci-fi movie district nine. Um, I think since then he's sort of become like a, you know, sort of a studio formula for hire kind of director. I mean, this, this is, you know, he was obviously hired for this. This isn't, I've read a couple of articles. He's been savaged. There's a, uh, one column in the Daily Beast where he's savaged as being a gamer movie hack. Whatever. If it works, it works. <laughs> yeah. If this is how hack uh, filmmakers make films, I'll go with it. I'll say another hack film. You know, I'll start playing Gran Turismo. Yeah, well, exactly right. Like It's formulaic. Gran Turismo is formulaic. It's not... Again, it's not going to get an Oscar nomination like Ford versus Ferrari. You know, it doesn't have, it's not a prestige picture, um, but as a sort of a piece of popular populist entertainment um, about video games and car racing, it work, I think it works pretty well. I agree. I, I would like to see a movie about my, the lap I did in the Audi around the 24 hours of Le Mans track. It would, it would be, it would be uh, like a three minute, three minute movie. <laughs> really my goal was to, was to survive the lap so I could, so I could, I, I could go back to the uh, press tent and eat the charcuterie. But you know, I would pay, I would buy a ticket to that movie. Yeah, really like the, the, the whole point of, of the, of the movie was to get, uh, get flown, flown to France to eat the food. <laughs> that was my dream. That's what I grew up dreaming about going to eat, eat, eat food. During the race, the thing I remember most about the 24 hours of Le Mans, Jack, was that there was a in, in the VIP room where we got access to. They had a, a foot spa that you could stick your feet into, and there were these little fish that were biting the dead skin off the bottom of my feet, like these little these little like mini piranhas. And I sat there having let the fish bite my feet for like like 30 minutes. They didn't include that in this movie. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been interesting. I, yeah, I, that's, I'm just stunned. I, I'm jealous. I've never had anything like that. A huge omission. And, you know, I would have liked to have seen maybe David Harbour doing that, you know, in, in between, uh, just to relax in between stressful laps. But he, I guess he had a job to do. And our job was to see Gran Turismo this uh, recently in theaters. Uh, recommended if you're a gamer or a racing fan. Or if you just like watching David Harbour get sweaty. Or if you're my daughter's boyfriend. But I cannot emphasize how jealous he was that I got to see the film. I guess my film would be a film of me watching this film. <laughs> you, get, you get Grand Prix, I get being in a screening room. You dreamed your whole life. <laughs> <laughs>
of watching a movie and then it finally happened. <laughs> yes. All right, Jack Helbig, nice to talk to you. Good talking to you. All right, thanks Jack Helbig for talking to me about Gran Turismo. We will get you behind the wheel of a race car real soon, or at least you can ride the L semi-fast and that would be uh, fun as well. Also, thanks to Kristen Clifford for talking to me about Bottoms, which is in now in theaters in addition to Gran Turismo. Be an interesting double feature, Bottoms Turismo, Grand Bottoms, something like that. And thanks to Scott Gold for talking to me about Ashoka, which is now airing on Disney+. Plus. I am Neil Pollock. I am the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We publish new content nearly every day. We put out a new episode of the podcast nearly every week, and I will talk to you soon. Original Production.